Jesus, let us believe that you've overcome. That you not only overcame in the times of the Gospels, in the times of Acts, but you've overcome in more way than we could ever imagine. And I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're going to do. You're already doing something. You're present with us. Your spirit is here. You're softening our hearts. So I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, page 605, if you have one of these church Bibles. Okay? And here's a great thing. If none of you, if you don't have a Bible and you want to take a Bible just for you to have, please feel, one, feel free to take this home. This is definitely yours. That's why we bought them. Okay? Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. Quick little story. Quick little snapshot that we're going to see in Jesus' life that, that speaks volumes to us and how we perceive God. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. What have we been learning about Jesus and his travels? How has he traveled through, through most of Mark? By what? By boat. Oftentimes we think about Jesus and the traveling gang walking around the streets and walking all over the place. But the thing that we learn about Mark is that Jesus wasn't just like a carpenter. He was like a sailor. He and his tribe would go back and forth from one side, of, from, from basically the Jewish territory to the Gentile territory, the Gentile territory to the Jewish territory. Back and forth they crossed the lake. And it seems like when we read Mark for some reason, he spends more time on a boat then he does walking. Huge insight, because we never think about Jesus as being a sailor. Not that he was, but he was definitely a water traveler. Probably some thought he was a pirate. Hey, matey. But that's how he traveled. So every time Jesus would leave, he would go back to one of the ports and start walking around. And then he started to have such a rhythm that after Jesus left, people were waiting for him. People would say, hey, listen, if you hear about that guy Jesus come back, let everyone know. So it's almost like they had a lighthouse, a lookout for Jesus. Because when they saw that boat of men fighting and Jesus shaking his head about all these crazy guys that he's dealing with, they knew Jesus was about to land in port. And someone would say, hey, he's here. What's up? Someone's sending us something. Good job. Thank you. But what they would do is they would send things out. They would let people know so that when Jesus showed up, everyone was ready for 
his teachings. And so before he even hit land, there was a crowd, the multitudes. And so here he lands in Bethsaida again. He's been there many times, back and forth, back and forth. And there's this guy who is blind. And a group of people who deeply care about this man's condition grabbed Jesus and said, can you heal him? Can you restore his sight? Can he bring him back to a place of normalcy? Because people with disabilities back in biblical times were completely treated differently than they are now. It's really not until like the last 15 years that people with major disabilities are given every opportunity like we are. That's the reality. It's really not until about the last 15 years that the technology and, and, and information and being informed about people's conditions that people are now functioning in normalcy with their disability. And so this is very interesting. Because the easiest thing for Jesus would have done was been like, okay, let me heal you. Boom. And let's walk away. But this is moving closer to the end of Jesus' ministry. There's a lot of angst against Jesus. A lot of people in that crowd are trying to set him up to cause the mission of God to be disrupted. And so in the midst of this, we think that the best thing that Jesus should do on the spot is what? Heal him, right? That's the right thing to do. But instead, he says, no, come with me. And he pulls this man by himself, and he deals with him as an individual. Now, let's stop for a second. Let's think about church. Let's think about church as we know it. Not church about how people know it in Africa or India or all these other countries, these third world countries. What they know about church is intimate, authentic, transparent. What we know about church is big, it's bright, it's loud. The bigger the crowd, the better the ministry. Right? That's how it is. The glamour, the lights. I mean, I was at a conference this day where they had like I was praying and I had like a spotlight like shining in my face because they were circling around in, in the atmosphere. And it's like, am I at a disco or am I worshiping? And churches do that every single Sunday. Local churches. You go and it's and it's like it's like you know, rock band concert, woo-hoo, lights flashing, blah, 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 all this crazy stuff. And we think that's better church, right? Let's be honest. I mean, you know how many people came up to me before the plan and said, hey, when you get established, I'm there. When you have everything that I need, I'm with you. I love you. You are my pastor. But let me make sure that you can do it right, the right way that I believe it's supposed to be done. So for us, when we see Jesus in this passage, we're like, dude, this is your time. Gather the crowds. Don't come on a donkey. Come on a stallion. And we're thinking like, Jesus, this is the opportunity to shut everyone down. Shut all the Pharisees. Shut all the Sadducees. Shut all the Zealots. Prove to them again and again that you are God. 
But Jesus and God's ways are so much different than our ways. And he pulls this guy aside and he deals with the individual, with the individual's circumstances. Now there's certain things in our life that just are uncouth and uncool. One of them is being spit on. How many of you have ever been spit on before? Guys, all right. What happens if someone spits on you? What do you want to do? Yes, punch him out, right? That's like the good Christian thing to do, right? If someone like spits on us, like, hey, that's like a holy laying on of your hands. Whack them, knock them out. What are some other things that are very uncouth? Come on. What's that? Yes, we're all like, you're, you're waiting for me to tell you. All right, fine, I'm going to tell you. One is getting beer thrown at you at a football game, right? Is that cool? What happens if you're at a Jets game and they're playing the Dolphins and someone's going crazy and they chuck a beer at you? Is that cool? No. All right, since you're really not listening, I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to even say it more. What's even more uncouth than getting a beer thrown at you and being spit on? Going to a Jets game? What? No. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and some of you will never come back to the plan because I'm going to say this. But I'm okay with that because this is the Rob Parker. The only other thing that's uncool than being spit on is being in an elevator and someone farting. Like, that's so uncouth. It's like, come on, who did it? Who did it? That happened to me. I was at a conference and my buddy was online, ripped one, and everyone looks at me. I'm like, dude, how uncool is that? But being spit on, <laughs> I had to say it, I'm really tired. Being spit on, is really a picture of shame. It's a picture of humiliation. It's a picture of really putting someone beneath you. It's saying, I hate you. It's saying all these things. So imagine being this guy. And Jesus pulls him aside, and you're like, he's going to heal me. I mean, think about all the different ways that Jesus healed. He touched. Matter of fact, there's even a time when someone touched Jesus. He didn't even touch them. All they touched was part of his, his clothes, and they were healed. There was times that he even just spoke a word and someone was healed. He did so many different forms of healing that were, that were so different from the next. I mean, one that seemed a little gross too is when he took some mud and he spit on it and made some mud and he put it on the eyes. I think when we read this in our, in our, in our good Christian manner, we almost want to think like, like Jesus went like, like, it's like, no, you didn't get anything in my eye. It's like, and he spit in his eyes. So out of the box. So out of the box. Why? Why? And the interesting thing is what happens. The first time he, he gets a spit on his eyes, he, he's like, so what do you see? I see people walking around, but they look like what? Trees. So here's something we have to understand about this story. This man once had what? Sight. This is key. This man, something happened to this man. Whether it was a condition, a disease, or an incident that caused this man to be blind. So think about this. 
Jesus spits in his eyes. First of all, that's if Jesus spit it on my eyes, my hand would probably be back. And the first thing that happens is that he only sees partially. Think about the anxiety that must have come over that guy. So I'm half healed. I'm stuck halfway. I'm partially done. Like that was cool. Like, that, like this is now, now it's even worse off. Because now I could partially see, and it's almost, like, it's almost like God's playing me. You ever feel that way? That like something happens, and it's almost like God only showed up halfway? And it's funny because Jesus asked him, hey, what do you see? But then what happens again? Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Here's a box. And it's something that sits in my office and you put different things in. And if you're you know, extremely organized, you put your pencils here and your pens here and your scissor here and your clips here and this is such a symbol of God to us. We have a systematic approach to how God works. Systematic theology, right? That's what it's called, Wayne Gruden. Great book, Systematic Theology. Matter of fact, I just read another book by Wayne Gruden on the plane out to uh, Austin. Great book. But the problem with systematic theology is that we get to a point in our spiritual understanding that we define first who God is and how he works. But on top of that, it's not only a box. We've made a box with little boxes in it. Okay, so when I pray for someone, God works this way. This is what happens in a Christian marriage. This is what happens as a Christian employer. This happens as a Christian parent. This happens as a Christian neighbor. And we have all these little boxes of how we tell God he's supposed to work. Correct? Come on. Correct? Correct. We tell God, I will believe in you as long as you fit into my box. Because my Western worldview is made up of boxes. And so for me to understand God fully, I need to put God into my worldview box that says that everything works out, and if it's working right, things work out perfectly. Correct? And if it doesn't work out perfectly, then it's not true. Because it doesn't fit into our logic. You tracking with me? You tracking with me? And what we've done is we've made God fit into not, we've made God fit into our box rather than us fitting into him. Does that make sense? We made God fit into our box. We're like, okay, you come here and step into my world rather than he saying you step into my world. And the thing that I love about this passage is that he's once again completely out of our box. Think about it. 
And there's, two, there's three ways he's out of the box. First, he didn't gather the crowd. Okay? He didn't do it in front of everyone so he gets the glory, right? Because who does he want to give the glory to? The Father, right? So right there, that's so out of our box. Jesus only gave the glory to who? The Father. I only do, I only say, I only act, I only participate in what the Father tells me to. It's the words of Jesus. I only do what the Father tells me to do. So in us, we're thinking, come on, this, this is the time. This is the time. It's almost like Hurricane Sandy comes in or Hurricane Irene, and it's like, hey, we're going to go help. Like, this is the time to like, not, not only help people out, but let's evangelize them. Let, let's, let's get them at their most vulnerable place. Like, like, as we're cleaning out their basements, let's whack them. Let's whack them with the four spiritual laws. And if they don't believe, then shame on them. No. No. That's the first box. The second box is how he healed him. Spitting on him. There's no theological understanding to that. I'm sorry. If someone wrote something up on that, they're totally wrong. They just made a lot of money off a book. Okay? Great, great philosophy. We have no idea. But he spit on him. We only see that twice in Scripture. One was when he made mud, and two was in this situation. Nowhere else in all of Scripture is spit used. Okay? Just so we know that. So he doesn't do it the way that we want him to. Right? We want Jesus to heal us in our bedroom by ourselves, so that if he doesn't heal us, we don't have to tell anyone. Correct? Everyone tracking with me? But there's a third way. He progressively heals them. He progressively heals this man. We have no idea why he progressively healed him, meaning not one time, but two. And what happens in our understanding of God is that he either heals or he doesn't heal. That's our understanding. That's our box. You fall into one of two boxes. He either heals or he doesn't heal. And the only reason these people do not believe he heals is why? Why? Because they haven't seen it. Right? Right? So even though this group says they believe the Bible and they only believe the word, they don't believe what they haven't seen. I love this story. Because it brings God's power in a whole new light. A whole new light. I believe in healing, you know that. But when I read this story, I see how, how in the midst of our present circumstances, God may heal physically instantaneously. God may heal emotionally instantaneously. God may heal spiritually instantaneously. But there's other times in our life where healing is progressive. And it's a progression. And that's been one of the hardest parts of my journey that I've been on. 
is that I have seen God instantaneously heal a few, and I've seen God instantaneously heal some progressively. And it seems like the people that I love the most, he's healing progressively rather than instantly. And so my human reaction should be what? Doesn't fit into my box. But let me say this to you. Because I have have the authority to say this. Not because I'm a pastor. But because I'm, I'm a parent who has a child with a disability. I know that. That I know that I have to constantly believe that God is progressively doing a work, not just spiritually in my family's life, but physically. And think about this. There are people that have God instantaneously heal them. Emotionally, forget about physically, instantaneously changed. Mark chapter 4. The demonized man, instantaneously he is sane. But then you have other people like Peter, okay, one of his disciples, who Jesus is progressively changing and transforming. And all we can do is continue to trust the God who heals. Not only emotionally, not only spiritually, but also physically. And many of you are here because of this message. You're looking for something more. You're sick of it. You're fed up with it. You're fed up with the box, but you don't know what to do. Amen? Right? Come on. Amen? You're here because you're saying, I need something more. And in that, this is your challenge. You can either let God do half of his work in your life, whether it's spiritually or emotionally or physically, and it's almost like, okay, I I get to see trees. I'm going to go back to the community. All right, you, you, you've healed part of me. Like, like, like you dealt with my, my selfishness, but I'm still a raging lunatic, and that's good enough. Or you fill in your gap. Or what you can do like that man. You can stand there and continue to posture yourself for the power of the living God to do an amazing work in your life. I mean that. I mean that. I don't throw myself up here and speak the way that I do to humiliate myself. I humble myself in a posture of what I long for God to do in my life, in my family's life, and our church family's life. Because what do you think happened when this guy, at some point, went back into the village? What do you think happened? They saw that he was seeing. And what do you think they wanted? 
They wanted a Savior. They wanted a Messiah because I bet you one guy said, I'm not blind, but I'm spiritually blind. I'm not physically blind, but I'm relationally blind. I can see, but I can't see what I do to other people. And that's what this is about. Is that we need to, as a church, first confess. Jesus, and this is my vocal confession for us. Jesus, forgive us. For we have put you in a box. Jesus, I have put you in a box of what my family looks like, what my ministry is supposed to look like, what my finances are supposed to look like, what I'm supposed to look like. So Jesus, me, Rob Parker, I confess that to you now. Forgive me, for I know not what I do. And we as a church need to confess that so that we can live in the power of the living God that is only found in Jesus Christ. No one gets the tension more than me. No one. I get it. But I know this, that his power is real. And I see in my life and I see in my family miracles constantly. And I know that seeing Jay Helwig was a miracle that I needed to see for some reason this past weekend. And I don't care if you have an emotional, spiritual, physical, financial issue. Jesus is saying either two things. One, I'm going to heal you on the spot, which I 100% believe in. Or two, I'm taking you on a journey of healing. And don't you choose which one he's going to do. Let him do it. Let him do it. But whatever he began, what did he say he was going to do? Finish. Whatever Jesus said he was going to start, he was going to what? End. And so if he has told you or shown you or begun to do something in your life, if you posture yourself, you put yourself under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, what is he going to do? Complete it. Right here in Bergen County. Right here in Bergen County. Right here in Mawa. Right in your homes. No matter what you're going through. Most of the villages that Jesus went to were not the poor and the downcast. They were Bergen Passaic County. Do you realize that? We think he only hung out in the slums and he did not. That's not true. That's not biblical. He went into the cities. He went into the poverty. But he also went into the suburbs. All the things that we read about in the gospel are for us. And we have lied to you. We have lied to you. And so today is a day of reconciliation. Jesus, I'm reconciling that I have put you in here. And I'm taking you out. And I want you to finish what you started. Sir, I just want to see a show of hands. How many people feel this way? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Seriously. Okay? So let's do this. Let's be bold. Let's not be crazy. Let's be bold. Let's pray. I know we started the question thing, but you know what? Maybe the best thing we need to do is just pray now. Let's pray.
If you feel this way, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm not going to make you stand up. Raise your hand. If you feel this way, so we are in agreement, right? Okay. And everyone else who didn't raise their hand is in agreement, correct? So let's simply do this. Let's grab the hand next to us. Let's pray. Let's pray. And let's pray that this is not an awakening, but this is a revival. A revival that starts in our hearts. That's not based on a building or a church, but on the presence of God, what He wants to do in us. That's it. That's it. Jesus, we come to you. You're here. You are present. I think many of us sense you that you're here. I think many of us know that you are with us. And I ask you for two things. One, break the box. Squish it. Give people an image, a, a, literally a vision of, of you being taken out of their box. This, this little Jesus, this little action figure that when they take you out of the box, it was just, it overwhelms, it fills their presence completely. Because that's what you want to do. You want to fill our presence from the top of the head to the bottom of our feet. You fill the universe. The stars are a picture of your glory. They shine, they praise you. The universe celebrates you. From the moment we, from the moment we took our breath, first breath to our last breath, you are celebrated in our breath, whether we believe or not. I ask you this morning for healing. I ask you. I ask you for physical healing. I ask you for spiritual healing. I ask you for emotional healing. I ask you for financial healing. I ask you. No, no more talking Jesus. We want to embody Jesus in our life. We want to know the power of your death and your resurrection. We want to know that life that, that you spoke to the eyes, that you spoke to the lame, that you spoke to Lazarus, that, that a, the, the, the deadness in us would become alive. And so Jesus, today, we, we push off the darkness of evil, of Satan, of, of this world, and we say, let the light of Jesus shine amongst us and bring healing. And all you do, Jesus say, all you say is, I love you. I'm present. And all you said to the guy is, do you see? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are the same presence that lived in Jesus. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are amongst us. Thank you that you are literally, there's so many people in this room that have back problems, it's not even funny. Thank you that you are healing those people who have back pain. Thank you that you are healing, that you are healing people who are, who are physically sick, who, who have diseases, who have different situations, that you are physically present. 
Thank you that you are going to restore, that you are restoring the senses. Thank you that you're restoring eyes and ears and, and hearts. Thank you that you're doing this. Thank you that you're healing relationships right now. Thank you that you're healing finances. Thank you that you're doing all of these things, even in the midst of our simply surrendering. Thank you that it's not you, it's not us who say that we're healed. It's you who you said, by my stripes, you are healed. Thank you that in Isaiah that that you said that you came not only to heal, but you came to set the oppressed free and that there's so many that are living in oppression and you are just setting them free right now. Thank you that in my family, that Lord, that I proclaim, I confess that you're healing right now. You're doing more healing right now than I could ever profess. Jesus, we need this. We're not going to walk away. We're going to posture ourselves to constantly hear you. We proclaim this. We say it humbly. We're going to go into a song of worship right now. Just keep your eyes closed. We're also going to offer communion. I know this is a little different than what we've done in church, but I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to conjure up God. One of the most bizarre things Jesus ever did was when he did the Last Supper. Because all he did is he represented what he did on the cross, that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilt out. I'm going to invite you to come take communion. But there's some of you here that just need to sit in the presence Communion is not a duty. Communion is a, is, is a remembrance. And if you're here and you're like, you know what, I just need to sit. Just sit during a song. If you need to come up, take communion. Come up, take communion. If you need to stand and lift your hands, whatever you need to do, you do. I don't care. I really don't care. All I care about is that you get to just be in God's presence. So if you want to come up, Kurt, would you help me out? Come forward. We do have people that, if you're just saying, hey, I, I, I can't go there with my faith. I can't. Um, we have a couple people that are going to be praying for people in the room. Someone standing up front. Some, someone standing up front. A couple people in the back. L let's do this. L let, let's let's kind of kick the evangelical church, the Western church in the head today. Is that okay? And let's say that, that we're more concerned about meeting with Jesus here than anything else. This is not conjured up. This was not planned. This is just happening. So, so let's not worry about the clock. We're not going to be here for four hours, I promise. We'll end in about 10 minutes. But let's do this. Let, let's really believe 
that what is being said, what is being spoken about. If you're a teenager and you're struggling, hey, come forward for prayer. Like, like I'm speaking to you. I get you guys. I get you. I get you. And some of you brought your parents here because of this. That's why you're sick of it. Hey, get prayer. It's cool. It's cool. If you're older, you need prayer, you know, put, put your stupid church stuff away. Put it away. And if you're here just saying, hey, I just, I, I just need to sit. Just sit. You know, let's let Jesus do his thing. Let's not worry about the, the plant. How about that? Forget the plant. Let's worry about now that Jesus is here, okay? So come forward. Or stay seated. Or go for prayer. Get a bagel. Do what you got to do. Come to the table.